Welcome to another edition of the College Faith Podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. This is Stan Wallace, your host, and this episode continues my sporadic series on the various fields students may choose to study while in college. Today, we're discussing choosing a major in the biological sciences. My guest is Dr. Jeff Harden, professor and former chair of the Department of Integrative Biology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. In addition to numerous scientific research articles relating to embryonic development, Jeff's the senior author of the widely used textbook, World of the Cell. And in addition to his PhD in biophysics from UC Berkeley, he also holds a Master of Divinity degree from the International School of Theology in Southern California. And so he's very interested in the intersection of faith and science, and he's actually an affiliate in the Religious Studies program at the university. Jeff's been a great encouragement to me for many years since my days of doing faculty ministry there at the University of Wisconsin in the mid-90s. So, Jeff, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Stan. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Jeff, let's start off with a bit of your story. How did you get interested in the biological sciences? Well, that is an excellent question. As a kid, I was actually more interested in the physical sciences. So Mm. I really wanted to be a physicist. In fact, I took German in high school because many great physicists were native German speakers. And I went off to college at Michigan State University thinking I wanted to study clarinet performance and physics. Oh, my. (laughs) But uh, then something happened called honors physics. And I realized my math skills were not good enough to be a top shelf physicist. And then Uh. I began thinking about other options. My brother had contracted bacterial meningitis when I was a freshman in college and he Mm. nearly died. Wow. And so I began thinking about a career in medicine. And Mm -hmm. so I changed my major from physics to zoology and began pursuing uh, an undergraduate degree in the biological sciences. Mm -hmm. And it was during that time that I think I developed a real love for biology, God's creative activity in producing the amazing group of living things that that we observe all around us and that biologists get to study. So that's Mm -hmm. how I launched my career in in biology. And uh, we we can say more about what happened to me as a graduate student to to kind of refine that into something manageable. Yeah. But that's how I got started. Yeah. Do say more. I'd love to hear a little more of the story. Sure. Well, So uh, you mentioned in my little bio that I'm a little weird in that I went to theological seminary Mm -hmm. before I did my science PhD. There are plenty of people who've done the opposite kind of thing. They they have a career in science and they they have career Mm 2.0 and then go off to seminary and get theological training. I was the opposite of that. And um, how did that happen? Well, uh, I was pursuing a, a an undergraduate degree in zoology, and that was really with the intent that I would pursue a career in medicine. And so I was pursuing the possibility of an MD-PhD mm-hmm. combined degree. And um, I was accepted at a couple of very good places. And uh, what happened was that I it was getting close to having to commit to one of those graduate uh, professional combo programs. And I wasn't feeling good about it. And um, I didn't know why. 
I went to a retreat where the intent of the retreat was to recruit you to become a campus ministry worker for a particular campus ministry organization that I was mm-hmm. a leader in mm-hmm. uh, as an undergrad. And um, uh, I was pretty sure I didn't want to do that. But the uh, main speaker was the president of a seminary, the International School of Theology. His name was Ron Jensen. And mm-hmm. I laid out my story to him and he said, well, I think you should consider seminary. Now he's a seminary president. So <laughs> of course, what, what do you expect him to say? And yet uh, he made a pretty compelling case for me that I could get a good foundation before I would do anything else that God might call me to. And so hmm. instead of doing the MD PhD, that's what I did. I pursued a master of divinity degree, crunched that into two years. And um, during that time, I met the woman who's now my wife, Susie. Uh, she was in the a staff worker in the same campus ministry organization that I'd been a student leader in. Uh, and she was at UC Berkeley in California. And so I got to see the Berkeley campus. And between my first and second years of seminary, I felt a strong call to go back into so-called secular academia. And uh, I'd been interested in physics, remember, but I had gotten a degree in biology. So I looked for something to combine those. And so I ended up pursuing a PhD in biophysics at UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. So that's how I ended up on the professional track in science. Now, when I got to Berkeley, I have to say my initial experiences were not great. I oh, really? did some lab rotations. I didn't enjoy them. And then I thought, okay, what classes did I really enjoy as an undergraduate? And one of them was a class on embryonic development, developmental biology. So I looked for someone who was in the biophysics program who did that. There was one person named Ray Keller, and I ended up working in Ray's lab. And the first Mm. time I saw an embryo in the microscope, I was absolutely hooked. That was Mm. it. And uh, that's been a lifelong passion of mine ever since. In fact, I'm the Raymond E. Keller Professor of Integrative Biology Mm -hmm. here at the University of Wisconsin in honor of my advisor. Wow. Well, that's... uh fascinating story. And actually, there are at least two principles that I want to draw from those because that illustrates so well some things we've talked about in other podcasts. And one is just the value of not being so focused when you start your undergraduate work that you maybe miss something that is really your passion because you think you have to go do something else. I know people think I've got to go into law and so I'm just going to do this narrow set of courses or I've got to go into business. So I'm going to focus over here. But, you know, your experience, your experience of taking classes that were broader exposed you to things you didn't even know you would be interested in and then were. And so that's a really good example of something that I think is so important so that students don't miss what God has for them as you've illustrated well, now seemingly right where God wants you and using you in important ways. And then the second, I guess, uh, related principle is that when you do experience uh, something that kind of lets your whistle or turns your crank or gets you excited, take notice and uh, see that as maybe God speaking into your life. And this is the kind of area I've created you to be good at it to flourish in. And so you should pursue this because again, sometimes we hear this narrative that there are certain things that are more important for the kingdom and some that are less. And some might say, well, you know, well, you should have gone into ministry. That would have been more valuable. And I think you're a great example of the contrary that no God called you to serve him in this, in the sciences, the 
biological sciences in this case, and uh, you were astute enough to his leading to uh, to hear his voice. So appreciate uh, you sharing that story and and illustrating those points that that we we talk about here on the podcast a lot. Well, I'm a poster child for generalism as an undergrad. I, I also have an undergraduate degree in German. Remember, I had been taking <laughs> German because I wanted to be a physicist. I just liked mm-hmm. it, so I kept taking it. So I, I would agree that I, I, um, one of the reasons that I accepted the job offer for the job that I have here at Wisconsin is because it's in the College of Letters and Science, which is the kind of the liberal arts college within the bigger university here at Wisconsin. So it's got the humanities, the social sciences, the uh, natural sciences, both physical and biological. And I have really liked being in that environment. Say more about that. What what about that is uh, is to your liking? Well, I think if Jesus is Lord of everything, then he is Lord of all knowledge. And uh, I think one of the things about being in this college is that it helps me to appreciate the breadth of that knowledge over whom Jesus is Lord. And so I, I think I've always benefited from being around people who are not narrowly focused mm. as successful as they might be on a particular uh, very specific discipline. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's helped me to think about integrating my faith with the kinds of scientific and other pursuits that mm-hmm. I've been, been engaged in over the last three decades here at Wisconsin. So in my case, I study embryonic development, and there are huge implications of the technologies that are arising from the basic sure. science of embryonic development mm-hmm. that we as human beings have to come to terms with. And I want to think well about those mm-hmm. as a Christian and as a scientist. And I think being around philosophers, being around uh, legal scholars, being around historians helps me to think well about these things in ways that maybe would be much more difficult if I were in a different academic setting. Mm-hmm. No, makes so much sense. And I, I didn't mention in your bio, but you also founded or very, very early on part of the Isthmus Society, is that right? Which is more of a, for lack of a better word, a public platform to engage these ideas in Madison and Wisconsin, maybe in a broader public context, right? Yeah, that's right. So I helped found that with my friend who recently passed away, a really eminent historian of science, Ron Numbers. Mm -hmm. And the idea there was uh, an Isthmus is a Maybe you remember your geography is a small bit of land that connects two large land masses. And in this case, it's a metaphor for connecting the large land mass of science on the one hand with the large land mass of religion on the Mm -hmm. other hand. Now, I'm at a public university, so religion has to be construed somewhat broadly. But the ISMA Society, one of my goals, at least, was to provide space for Christians to engage with other uh, well-intentioned people at the university to talk about these ideas, but to be explicit about their faith commitments as they do mm-hmm. that. And so mm-hmm. one of the great things about the Isthmus Society, I think for me was to, that it provided a space whereby people could engage fruitfully over these ideas. And the Christian worldview 
was always represented in those discussions, either mm-hmm. by me or, or other people that we would invite as speakers or as panelists in some of those events. So we call those things town and gown events here at uh, the university, the town of Madison and the gown is, you know, the, mm-hmm. you, you wear these old academics would wear these fancy robes when they would yeah. do their thing as professors. Yeah. So that's where that phrase comes from. Well, and it's such a great example of finding ways to uh, steward wealth, uh, gifts and opportunities and education. And in your case, that God's given you for the kingdom. I appreciate, again, I appreciate that, that model for our listeners as they think about different majors. And in this case, biological science, it doesn't only mean a career in a lab or a office or a university, but it might also mean all type of other opportunities uh, if one has ears to hear and eyes to see. So let's talk about that though, in the specifics of career what career opportunities does an undergraduate degree in the biological sciences lead to? Well, that's a great question. First of all, probably to help clarify that question, we have many, many different kinds of biological science degree programs here at Wisconsin. Some of these are very applied. So things like agricultural engineering or okay. um, agronomy, where you're learning about soil and grasses and how those can feed livestock and things like that. So those are very applied. There's a lot of science in there, but it's heavily oriented towards application Mm -hmm. all the way over to very general biological science programs. We have a biology major. We have a molecular biology major. There's a biochemistry major. These majors focus on molecular things. So the the world of the very small, the building blocks of organisms and how those building blocks interact within individual cells or groups of cells. And then there are majors like botany and zoology. These are focused on particular groupings of organisms, Mm -hmm. botany, obviously plants, zoology, animals, not just zoos, I want to point out, but but animals. (laughs) And um, those particular degree programs because of the specializations of the various degrees that you could choose, some of them by design are more focused. Others are much more broadly based. The biology or the zoology major, for example, ones that I'm really familiar with are more broadly based. And they give you opportunities of lots of different sorts. Uh, You can go on to study conservation biology. Um, How do we help species from disappearing? How do we allow the the species that that God has placed before us to flourish in the world? But you might study physiology, how do organ systems interrelate? And uh, you could go on to graduate school in, in a career like that. Many of these degrees also provide opportunities to uh, go on to do graduate level research. That's the kind of job that I have ultimately Mm -hmm. is, um, Mm -hmm. So you might go on for a master's or a PhD and in a specialized field. I'm, as I said, a developmental biologist. That means I study embryos, but you might study how cells behave and and how they do what they do. You might uh, focus on regenerative biology. How can we engineer cells for the, the beneficial purposes of treating human patients, for example? And that's really a basic kind of applied area of biology that that you could go into. Many people, it's true that I teach, uh, want to be 
doctors. So there are many professional programs that you could enter as a result of getting an undergraduate degree in in the biological sciences. That might include uh, MD programs. We have a great veterinary, a school of veterinary medicine here. So you could become a vet. You could go into nursing with an undergraduate degree in, in the biological sciences. And of course, there are people who uh, get undergraduate degrees in biology, and then they get a teaching certificate, and they can mm-hmm. go on and become K through twelve teachers, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of different options for people who are majoring in the biological sciences. And then there are a lot of people who they get an undergraduate degree in biology, but they end up doing something somewhat different. So mm-hmm. um, one of the fastest growing majors on our campus is called data science. And this pulls in statistics, computer science, mining, all of that information that's out there uh, that's available via the internet and all of the kind of dizzying array of things that one can mine and analyze to understand the world. And um, combining biology with data science is very big right now. So Mm -hmm. this allows people to go into industry, to work in healthcare to be part of uh, analyzing public health strategies, all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. But having that biology base, very valuable, mm-hmm. even though you're adding on these, these other kinds of interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary uh, emphases. Sure. Yeah, I, I can hear our listeners saying, wow, um, <laughs> I had no idea. How do I know going in, which I'm interested in, back to our earlier conversation, you sort of have to get get exposed to a lot of things to really know which area to focus on. Is there, in general, at Wisconsin, and if you know other places, intro-level courses that sort of dip into all these areas so the students can get a feel for them? Or how do, how do you do that? There are so many universities have kind of a gateway course or people who think they're interested in biology. Wisconsin freshman level courses have 100 numbers associated with them. So uh, we have a course like this called Exploring Biology, and you can take this. And it allows you to dip your toe into various sub-disciplines of biology. It's kind of a smorgasbord. Um, Usually it involves practicing biologists talking about what they do. And what you could do if you focus on the kinds of things that they do. And, and so that's very helpful. And then in most of the sciences, uh, there are introductory level courses that are required for almost all of the majors in those areas. So in the case of biology, you, you've usually got to take introductory level biology courses. Uh, some people come in with advanced placement or IB credits and they come in having been given credit for some of these introductory courses, but usually you've got to take additional intro courses on top of whatever you, you come in with in terms of advanced placement credit. And it's during those that you get exposed to the breadth of biology. Sure. And usually there, things are going to strike a chord with you. Mm-hmm. Things that you found really fascinating, other things, eh, maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, that helps you discern what to take at the intermediate and advanced levels in your undergraduate career. Okay. That's really helpful. I know my son studying business benefited in the same way from an introductory 
class that gave him the lay of the land. And, you know, without that, it would have been really hard because there's so many variables uh, in all of these fields. So good to have that clarification. I want to camp out a little bit on the isthmus, if you don't mind. Talk about where where what you do in biology connects with your faith. Has studying in the biological sciences been a help to your faith or, or a challenge to your faith or both? And how so? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think maybe many of your listeners at this point are going to think, oh, I really want to know what he's going to say. Because I think the perception is, particularly when it comes to biology, is that biology and Christian faith are somehow these implacable foes. Or maybe at best, there's a lot where you have to hold your nose and kind of endure it. But as a Christian, uh, you just can't get excited about it. And for me, that just hasn't been the case. So hmm. I have been a professor here for 30 years. I was department chair in my department for 13 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, well, that says a couple of things. I think one is that it's possible to be a fully devoted Christ follower and to thrive in the university environment. And number two, that it's possible not only to survive, but I think in my own case, uh, I felt that my faith in the biological research that I've been able to be a part of have worked hand in hand to allow me to draw nearer to Christ. So um, let me explain that in, in a couple of ways. Maybe you know Psalm 19. Now, Psalm 19 is not a psalm about biology. There's a great psalm about biology, which we could talk about, Psalm 104. But I love Psalm 19. You know, Psalm 19 begins with these very familiar words, the heavens declare the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. And the psalmist goes on to talk about how the, the reliability of the heavenly bodies is saying something about the reliability of the creator who underlies them. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it's clear that the psalmist has actually looked at this carefully. He understands that now he uses metaphorical language about a bridegroom and some other things, but the reliabilities of these natural processes reflect the faithfulness of the God who underlies them. So that means that being a scientist is really ought to be an exercise in art appreciation. Mm. The grand artist of everything around us, the Lord has set all of this before us. And what scientists ought to be doing is if they are Christ followers is reveling in that. That's something I call, this is a big phrase, doxological fascination. (laughs) Doxological, uh, maybe we, we know the word doxology, many of us, that means giving glory. Doxa means glory in Greek. And fascination, well, we know what that word means. What do I mean by that? You know, when you get into the nooks and crannies of an aspect of God's creation, and for me, that's biological processes, the better you understand them, the better you can appreciate the creator who lies behind them. And so for me, doing research is an exercise in worship every day. So that's been great. So that has really enhanced my faith, I would say. As I've further appreciated God's creation, I have reason to give more and more glory to the creator of everything. So, you know, that, that's one thing I would say. Now, uh, you asked about challenges. What are some challenges uh, of being a biologist? Well, I think 
one of the challenges that many of your listeners are going to be familiar with is the widespread misuse of biology to promote a worldview of materialistic secularism. And so, so that is, I guess, in a way, a challenge uh, in the sense that maybe the most famous proponent of this approach is a fellow named Richard Dawkins, a very eminent evolutionary biologist. Sure. When he's writing about science and writing about biology, he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. But then he can't help himself. <laughs> and he just, he slides yeah. onto the shoulder. Yeah. He doesn't stay in his lane. <laughs> and he uses biology to promote a form of atheism. Sure. And this is really frustrating to a, a very large swath of biologists, whether they are Christians or not. And so as a Christian, certainly I've had to dispel the notion that biology somehow makes it obvious that we shouldn't believe that God exists and that he hasn't revealed himself uh, supremely in his son, Jesus. And so uh, there have been times when I've had to push back against that assumption or presumption of atheism. And uh, so the Isthmus Society, I think, provided an opportunity to do that, to have winsome voices who take biology or other branches of natural science seriously but who also recognize that the misuses of science are not representative of, of the majority of scientists who are out there. It's not to say that there aren't a lot of my scientific colleagues who are agnostic, so they, they don't know whether there's a God out there, or sure. they might use the word atheist, they would say there is no God out there. But most of them are not militant in the way that someone like Richard Dawkins would be. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there are many people a surprisingly large number of scientists who are religious believers, and many of them are Christians. And that's encouraging. I've noticed that also in my years of ministry in the university environment, just uh, how many believers there are in the hard sciences, the biological sciences, and so on and so forth. Very encouraging, contrary to this narrative we hear so often. So sure, appreciate you bringing that out. Talk a little bit about where you see the mainstream ideas in the biological science Science is both consistent with a Christian worldview and uh, in conflict with a Christian worldview. And how can Christians navigate both realities? Because in all fields, both realities exist. So uh, help us understand where those are in your field and related fields and how we can think about those things. Sure. Well, probably at the outset, it's worth reiterating, as maybe some of your other guests have from time to time, that the Bible is not a science textbook, or at least I don't view it that way. The Bible focuses on a couple of really big questions. One of those questions is who? Who lies behind all of reality? And Christians affirm that that is uh, God, the triune God, and that he's revealed himself uniquely in his son, Jesus, God, the son, and through him, uh, all things hold together. So that's the who. And I think uh, the apostle Paul in Colossians one, or the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter one, both make that point that by him, all things were created both in heavens and the earth. That's in Colossians one. He's before all things in him, all things hold together. So -hmm. that's the biblical worldview about who. Another question that the Bible answers is why? So why does the world exist? And it says a lot about that. God has created the world as a joyous act in which he 
provides the possibility of his creatures, you and me, lovingly interacting with him. And um, it provides lots of other answers to more specific why questions. And so the Bible's really good at answering those questions. The Bible doesn't really address how questions so much. So how questions are the, the domain of science. How does the world work? How do embryos develop from fertilized eggs to really complicated organisms like you and me? That's what I sure. happen to study. So I think uh, once we get the questions that the Bible's really good at answering firmly fixed in our mind, that really helps us as we think about the interplay between science and the Bible. And so um, for me, I think that the Bible affirms that God lies behind all of biology. I mentioned Psalm 104 earlier that talks about plant life talks about uh, how animals eat plants. It talks about how lions hunt for their prey. So all of the, the wonders of biology, including whole ecosystems, that's all part of God's creation. And so we can revel in all of those things. Now, I study embryonic development. I teach a course uh, for juniors and seniors on embryonic development on the first day of class. I tell them, hey, people have been thinking about this for a long time. And I quote a Hebrew poet. You may have heard of him. His name is David from Psalm 139, <laughs> in which he says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And my soul knows it very well. And, and I, I read Psalm 139 and I tell them, you know, whether you share the worldview of this Hebrew poet, and as a Christian, I happen to share uh, the writer's worldview or not, by the end of the semester, I want you to think that embryos are cool. Mm. So fundamentally, the wonders of biology, those are a profoundly Christian impulse, I think. Now, in terms of specific issues that arise from biological science, you know, the Bible is very clear that the world cries out for explanation. And I think certain approaches to the biological world have no explanation ultimately for all of the amazing things that, that we see in the world. And in particular, it has trouble discussing the uniqueness of human beings, what makes them special, and how we should think about the meaning and purpose of our lives. And so for me, it's pretty natural for me to, to raise those issues in a class about embryonic development, you know, what is the, what's the ultimate goal of this developmental process? Well, it's to produce humans who are of inestimable value. And so, uh, and yet biology does a very poor job of, of thinking about those things. In other words, it can explain that we are very complex, intricate, beautiful beings, but not the underlying theological re reality that we're made in the image of God, and we therefore have intrinsic value and worth, which are beyond the scope of science points toward. Is that a good way to say it? Exactly right. And so, you know, I, I think uh, for me, I want to do something that C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, Letters from Malcolm, Chiefly on Prayer. He talks about people who don't have faith commitments having these aha moments. He calls mm -hmm. them patches of God light. Mm-hmm. And I want to try to 
put the spotlight on certain patches of Godlight as a biology educator. So that's one of the things that's very important to me. Mm-hmm. Many of my colleagues are not going to do that. Right. And yet I, I think that's very possible. You know, I would say that we can, without hesitation, study all of the aspects of the biological world and not be afraid to study any of those things. Mm-hmm. It is God who's given us minds that are able to apprehend the natural world. This is something actually that secular biologists have trouble explaining is why do our brains, how can they actually perceive what's going on in the natural world? Well, it's because our brains and our minds are in existence because there's a chief mind that lies behind it all. Now, I think the one specific area of biology that often comes up is, well, there are a couple maybe uh, in the modern modern era. One is the topic of the origins of living things. Sure. And how should we think about that as Christians? You know, frankly, not all Christians who really know the biology agree about these things. Evolutionary biology, um, is that how we arose? How living things that we observe on our planet today arose or not? And different Christians think differently about that, and they mm-hmm. come to different conclusions about how to how to make sense of the Bible and what the Bible says about those things. You know, many people with jobs like mine are comfortable with God using uh, evolutionary biological processes to accomplish His purposes. Uh, they might disagree about uh, have specific disagreements about human beings in particular, which you know we we could talk about that. It might take a while to unpack all of that. But I think, the, as I mentioned earlier, the, the biggest problem really arises when you try to use evolutionary biology as some sort of metaphysical bludgeon, you know, just to beat people over the head and say, aha, see, there is no God. Uh, and there's nothing about anything in biology that entails believing that God doesn't exist. Um, and I think that's where having Christians in the biological sciences at the university level is very important for God's kingdom work to help believers understand Mm -hmm. that people like Richard Dawkins are not the only voices. We will return to the show in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. Do you have a child, relative, or friend preparing for or attending college? What they need most are Christian professors who can help them learn to love God with their hearts and minds during these impressionable years. Global Scholars equips Christian professors to be there for them and walk with them during their years in college. Please visit www.global-scholars.org to learn how you can help equip Christian professors to show Christ's love on a campus near you and around the world. Please also check out the other podcast Stan and Dr. J.P. Moreland do together, Thinking Christianly. Whereas this college faith podcast focuses more on the practical questions of thriving during the college years, the Thinking Christianly podcast is all about the ideas that shape the university, students, our broader culture, and the world. Visit thinkingchristianly.org or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now back to college faith. The aha moment for me on this was years ago, uh, I, I was struggling with these issues and I read Philip Johnson's book, Darwin on Trial. And the, the the takeaway for me or the main point that I remember was he said, you know, the debate isn't 
primarily between these different views that that Christians hold about origins. But the primary question is, can we explain biological life purely naturalistically without any appeal to God? Or do we have to have an appeal to God's activity? However, that activity occurs, and that's where the differences uh, are amongst Christians of of what he might have done or not done in that process. But Johnson's point, which I love, and I think is what you're saying is ultimately the key issue is we can't explain what we see and what you study purely by naturalistic causes, like a Richard Dawkins would want to say. And that I think frames it, at least for me in a way that says, so there are these intermediate debates within the Christian community uh, going by different names but uh, those they are intramural. Yeah, they're important. We ought to talk about them, but we ought to have grace with one another. But we need to make the issue that ultimately, no matter how it's explained, it's clear that God is present, is involved, uh, is necessary in some way. That's a layman's summary. Uh, there's probably a lot of nuance there that you could add, and you might not even agree with how I frame that. But is that helpful? Is that a good way to? put it? I mean, I think so. Christians definitely disagree about uh, a number of issues there, but they're fundamentally different from someone who is a materialist who says stuff is all there is and there's nothing more. Yeah. And we, that, that's a, that's a position that, that a Christ follower obviously has to, has to push back against. Right. I think one of the areas that is hard to explain and I, I think is worth helping students to think about for me as a professor is the whole realm of ethics. So mm. I um, teach this class on embryonic development and I spend several lectures talking about ethics. Sure. So what should guide our decision-making about what we do with human embryos? We have all these technologies to manipulate human embryos. Yeah. Uh, there are all kinds of consequences of various kinds of reproductive interventions that we could think about. Should we destroy human embryos intentionally? How do we arrive at the answers to those kinds of questions? And so I, uh, most of the students, they're biology majors, right? They, they don't take philosophy, Stan. I'm sorry, many of them. <laughs> it's sad. I wish they would take more philosophy. They get some from you, though, apparently. They do. That's right. So <laughs> I help them to, to see what informs our ethical decision-making. How should we think about embryos uh, destroying early human embryos? Is there a difference between human and non-human embryos? How should we think about all of those things? And uh, this often leads to some really significant discussion. So mm-hmm. I had a student who, yeah, I had said in the lectures, hey, look, your worldview informs how you think about these questions and your mm-hmm. religious views are part of your worldview. And if they're an appropriate part of your worldview. And at that point, I, I remind them, hey, I'm a Christian. That informs my worldview here, definitely. Why well, the student come to my office hours and she said, Professor Harden, you know what? I don't know where my my views come from about right and wrong in general. I have no idea. Like mm-hmm. you raised an issue that I'd never thought about before. Wow. And she realized a purely secular worldview doesn't 
give me answers to those questions. Mm-hmm. And they, mm-hmm. I mean, I can kind of create answers, but the idea that there are, are there's a moral aspect of the universe, she realized couldn't come from biology. Wow. So that led us to a fruitful discussion. She ended up becoming a Christian as a result of those mm-hmm. discussions. And, um, you know, so I think, I think these are ways that biology and faith can fruitfully interact. That's so good. So Jeff, what character traits or qualities are good indicators that somebody might flourish as a student and then uh, in a career in the biological sciences, if there are any? That is a great question. You know, normally we would talk about, you use the word character, which I think I find really interesting in how you phrase that question. If you're going to flourish in the biological sciences, obviously there are certain kinds of academic abilities that are going to be important. But if we focus on character, uh, let me suggest a few character qualities that I think are valuable. Some I'm only beginning to express now 30 years down the road as a professor. So I'll just be be upfront about that. (laughs) One of the most important facets of character that I think is crucial to being a, a biological scientist is this idea of fascination that I talked about earlier. Mm. When you get up in the morning, are you excited about God's world and the organisms that inhabit it and how they function? If you are, if you get jazzed about that, if you really get fired up about that, that's a, that's a character quality in my view. This, this notion of, of fascination, having that is, is really, really valuable. Uh, and that might be how the human body functions. It might be how ecosystems function. It might be how animals behave. It might be about the diversity of plant life on this planet. I mean, many different facets yeah. where that fascination can come through. Can I make an observation? Yes. I think God gives us all curiosity. It's just part of what it is to be created in his image and love to know what's true, but you're calling out a curiosity or fascination in this specific area. Because for instance, I've got curiosity and and, and fascination about certain things, but not those things. So I've not ever gone this direction of biological sciences. I've got curiosity and fascination about issues in philosophy. My son has the same fascination about how businesses are built. So he's a business major. And so I think that's that's really helpful at uh, the principal level for you to illustrate is uh, where is your fascination? What is it that you get up thinking about in the morning that is so interesting to you? Yeah, I think that that's very well said. So that's, that's one character quality. I think a second character quality, and this is probably true for all of the sciences, but it's also true for biology. Uh, maybe especially true in biology, just because of some of the misuses of biology in the service of particular worldviews that biology doesn't entail, mm-hmm. is humility. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean by that? Well, I mean a couple of things. One is that to be a successful biologist, there's a givenness to the biological world that has to be your starting point. Being a student of the biological world means inhabiting the world as we have it, trying to make sense of the world as we have it, and to understand the mechanisms that underlie it. I I think the most successful biologists 
are like that. They, they, they are students of creation. And that will be different from coming to biology, assuming you know all of the answers. So that's, you know, um, that's probably endemic in every academic discipline, I suppose, is assuming you have all the answers. Mm. Uh, humility is, is really important in any area, but it's also true in biology. I think a third character quality is not just fascination, but love. So love of God's world is something that fuels the best Christians who are biologists. Mm -hmm. So you can be fascinated by something, but just for the purpose of dissecting it, for example, and then it just kind of lies in parts bleeding on the floor. (laughs) That would fall short of, I think, what God intends for us as biologists. He wants us to revel in and derive as much joy, love and joy out of studying the biological world as God himself had in creating it. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that sense, he wants us to come alongside him and enjoy the creation. And fundamentally, that starts from uh, a posture of love. And then I think if you're going to be a Christian in biology, Uh, There are obstacles that you're going to have to overcome as a biologist professional, and you're going to have to wrestle with certain things that you might learn from biology as we've discussed and try to synthesize that as you mature in your, your faith as a Christ follower. And so you're going to need perseverance. As you learn about the biological world, there are going to be touch points with your Christian faith. You're going to have to work through those. But I, I, I like to think of this as a spiral, an ever-increasing spiral. You, you, you revisit certain areas as you understand them more and more deeply multiple times in your life and career. And you have to try to integrate them with what ought to be your continuing and deepening understanding of God's word and your understanding of who God is uh, theologically and biblically. And so... Those are good. You're going to have to keep doing that over and over and over again. And so mm-hmm. I think the people I've been most impressed by who are biologists and devoted Christ followers have been willing to keep at that as a lifelong pursuit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Um, I mentioned Psalm 19 and how the heavens declare the glories of God. Well, the, the, mm-hmm. the second part of Psalm 19 moves from the book of God's works the universe and heavenly bodies to the book of God's word. So God is a, he's an author of a multi-volume masterpiece. And in that second part of Psalm 19, the psalmist talks about the law of the Lord being perfect, restoring the soul, mm-hmm. how the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, how the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord endures forever. And then at the end of the Psalm, these familiar words Come through, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, the psalmist realized this, that being a student of God's works in the world, and in the case of a biologist, the biological world, and being an equally astute student of God's word, they work together Mm. to make someone who is fully devoted to following God, knowing him, serving him, loving him, living for him. Hmm. Well said. I appreciate that. So from where you sit 
Are there important movements currently afoot in the biological sciences, uh, either positive or negative, that students should know about as they're thinking about this as a major and a career? Yeah. So let me highlight three areas, if, if I might. Okay. Yeah. One is an area where there's a lot of agreement among many Christians with the prevailing views among secular scientists, and that would be in the area of creation care. So mm-hmm. I think the Bible lays out very clearly, especially in the opening chapters of Genesis, that God created human beings to be stewards of the rest of creation. So ecology, geoscience, atmospheric science, oceanic science, all of these things and what we have learned about them can inform what it means to be a faithful steward of God's creation for Christians. So all of those areas of physical and biological science, I think this is an area where, where the science and Christian faith maybe are, are pretty friendly towards one another. That being said, of course, some people want to make the, the creation ultimate. Sure. And as Christians, we need to point them towards something that transcends the created order, and that's God himself. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate glorious future that awaits those who are in Christ, who, who know Jesus. So uh, a second area of science, uh, of biological science, that is going to occupy scientists for the rest of the century uh, very intensely is the functioning and organization of this amazing organ inside our skulls, our brains. And so neuroscience is a, is going to be huge the rest of the century. And Christians have particular ideas, at least historically, about the nature of minds, how they might interact with the biological aspects of our cognitive function, how our, our brains and how they work. And not all Christians agree there. And as a philosopher, you'll you'll know that to be true. Mm -hmm. But having Christians who can thoughtfully engage with the biology of neuroscience on the one hand and fruitfully engage with the historic ways of thinking about minds from a Christian perspective, Mm -hmm. uh, theologically and philosophically, we need people like that in the academy who can provide alternatives to certain prevailing views that hey, we're just computers made of meat, to use a very mm-hmm. frame, famous <laughs> phrase. No, we're, we're more than that. And trying to unpack how we are more than that from a Christian perspective while engaging with integrity with what scientists are uncovering about how the brain works, mm-hmm. that's going to be big throughout the rest of the century. Mm-hmm. Uh, thirdly, is maybe an area where where uh, my own work comes into play a bit, and that is that we are in an era, an unprecedented era of ability to manipulate ourselves. Mm-hmm. We now have powerful tools to edit the building blocks of our genetic code, something called genome editing. And the ability to manipulate the building blocks of our genetic makeup, that ability is a very fast-moving freight train. Mm. So as Christians, we need to understand those technologies, and we need to try to be winsome. So we need to have voices that are not simply 
shutting down the discussion, but engaging mm. with people who are proposing how to use these powerful technologies. And of course, one of the key aspects of whether we should use those technologies at all, or uh, maybe we should use them for very limited purposes, is going to be to understand the nature and purpose of the human species. Mm -hmm. And Christians have a unique perspective right. on all of that that needs to be heard in the public square. I will say that many of the people that are brokering this discussion don't care a lick about Christian viewpoints. And so one of the things that we need are people who are really excellent biologists who can speak thoughtfully from a profoundly Christian perspective in the public square about these things. I hope I'm making a very small contribution there. There are people who are much more eminent than I am who are doing that, um, but we, we need more. And one of the areas where that is going to continue to be true is in this whole area of human embryos. Should we destroy embryos to create special cells called stem cells that we might use in medical treatments or not? We now have the ability to take stem cells and engineer them so that they self-organize into ways that look disturbingly like normal embryos and what they're doing, but they're doing it in a dish. Mm. How should we think about that? Should we be disturbed by that? And I think we should be disturbed by certain things that people want to do mm -hmm. using all of these technologies. Mm -hmm. And yet we need to be able to speak into these areas in ways that bring credit to the name of Christ, but also do it in ways that are constructive. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Can you suggest a bioethics book by a thoughtful Christian who maybe addresses some of these things well? Because I think beyond just the folks who are getting ready to go to college and the parents listening to this to help them, these are issues that everybody's dealing with. So you have a good book to recommend? Well, so a book that doesn't focus on the technology so much, but focuses on the ethics and it's really thin. So it's, that's a great virtue of this little book is a book by Gil Mylander from Valparaiso University, Bioethics, a Primer or Primer. And um, that book is really good, I think, for unpacking some of the, the key issues. So I, I like that one very much. Uh, there are other more technical books that, that go beyond that. But that's, that's one, I think, that I personally find really useful as a starting point. Good. Someone you and I both know uh, who is at... Uh, Biola University, Scott Ray, he's done a lot of writing in bioethics. Um, mm -hmm. I really like some of the things that that he's done. Yeah, I like his, his book, Moral Choices, where he yeah. starts in the first area, the first section, talking about ways to even approach ethical issues in the first place, and then applies it in the latter part of the book to a lot of these issues in biomedical ethics. Uh, I like that approach. Yeah, I think that's really great. I would actually like to write a book myself in this area oh. that lays out some of the biology for non-specialists and nice. why there are concerns. Nice. There is a book that I like very much by a physician scientist in the UK named John Wyatt called Matters of Life and Death. John was good friends with a very well-known pastor theologian in the UK named John Stott that some of your listeners may have heard of. Sure. And uh, that is a really good book. I think lays out a lot of great ideas and, and covers a lot of really good ground on the, the gamut of, of bioethics. So those are some starting points. Great. Thanks. Thanks. Well, and bioethics are such an important place for Christians to truly think Christianly, not to bifurcate 
their spiritual life and what they believe from scripture from what they study. So it's just a great, obvious place of integrating the two. So let me ask you the broader question then. Are there other places, uh, ways, areas that Christian students can think Christianly about their studies in the biological sciences? There is a movement afoot that will gather momentum in the rest of the 21st century called transhumanism. Mm-hmm. So what is this? this? This is the idea that somehow we can either augment the human condition or transcend it through technology. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of a multidisciplinary idea. Some people want to use artificial intelligence to do this augmentation. Other people mm-hmm. want to kind of fuse machines and, and human bodies to augment right. their capabilities um, you know, I'm old, so there was a TV show called The Six Million Dollar Man. Which just thinking about that example of that, <laughs> sure. And there are are more modern versions of these kinds of ideas. I think most people are not particularly attracted by the most extreme proponents of transhumanism, but it is true that technology shapes the human condition in ways that often we're barely aware of. You can think about your smartphone as a huge example of this, but it's going to be true that in the biological sciences that we're going to have to think well about the appropriate uses of technology generally. And how are we going to address that? Well, fundamentally, you need to answer the question, what does it mean to be a thriving, fully alive human being? Mm -hmm. How do we answer that? Exactly. Christians have unique answers to that fundamental question. What is the purpose of life? What makes life worth living? Who counts as a valuable member of the human community? Mm -hmm. All of those things are hugely important questions. And biology speaks to some of those issues. So how should we think about people who have less ability than others? If we're all created in the image of God, then then every member of the human species has intrinsic value and is loved in ways that we will never fully understand by God himself. Well, that should shape how we think about human beings and whether technology is going to solve all of the issues related to allowing each of us to thrive as human beings. And uh, for Christians, the answer is, well, biology is powerful, but uh, these technologies will be useful for alleviating suffering and improving the human condition in certain ways. But if we don't have an understanding of what real thriving and health looks like from a human perspective, then there's going to be great temptation to use these technologies well beyond the limits that God intended. Sure. Well said. There's something I say, so I'm the faculty advisor for the Christian Graduate Fellowship here at Wisconsin. One of the things that I say to graduate students and undergraduates and to high school students who think they might have the gifting from God to go on in academic biology is that, that if God has called you to this, God will give you what you need to succeed. And uh, that seems like, duh, obvious. <laughs> and yet I will tell you it's not. So uh, sure, 
uh, I think some people feel that they would have to make unnecessary and unacceptable compromises mm. to be academics who are studying biology. And I tell students, you know what? Being a biologist is not a calling that God gives to everyone, but if that's the calling that he's given you, you can bank on him to be faithful, to give you what you need to fulfill his calling. Mm. It, it doesn't mean that you, the only way that you can do that is to slip a switch when you come onto the campus and act just like everyone else around you. No, you can be profoundly Christian and be a biologist, mm-hmm. and you can be excellent in what you do. So I would just want to encourage everyone who's thinking about a career in biology that there are lots of my brothers and sisters in Christ out there who are in settings like mine, who are living lives that are faithful to Christ and are doing their biology with excellence and thoughtfulness. You can do it too. If God has called you to this, he can make it happen. Good word. And in many areas, the Christians in that field gather together in Christian professional societies to know one another, to share ideas, to encourage one another. What are those societies in the biological sciences? That's a good question. So um, individual uh, areas of biology have their own professional societies, and often Christians will gather at the national meetings of those societies whether it's neuroscience or ecology or um, behavioral and physiological science or uh, developmental biology, like what I do, or genetics or or cell biology. Mm -hmm. Often those are informal. Sometimes they are um, more formal. So there'll be an an actual formal meeting and gathering. And are those open to undergrads? They are. Yeah. So sometimes undergrads will come to these national meetings and, I think in general, they tend to be heavy on the professors and that there's a, and graduate students, and there's a, a group of people that are between grad school and being a professor called postdoctoral fellows. So it's heavy on those three okay. groups, maybe a little lighter on undergraduates. Uh, there are Christian uh, organizations with people from all over the natural sciences as okay. part of them. One is something called the American Scientific Affiliation. Mm-hmm. Um, the ASA, and they've been around for many decades, and they are a, a group of scientists who are Christ followers who get together. They have an annual conference. They have a great journal, mm-hmm. and they have some really good online resources. I, I recommend them. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, Biologos Foundation has a lot of really amazing online resources, as does a group called Reasons to Believe. So those are two really content-rich websites. They have slightly different perspectives on certain issues, but they have a fundamental commitment to the fact that uh, Jesus is Lord of all creation. And how should we understand that? And um, so there's just a zillion articles there. Use the search engines if you go to either of those places to hone in on on what you're looking for. So those are, I think, some some great starting points. Both of those places will help scratch that itch for students who are thinking really hard about biology and thinking hard about how to be a faithful Christian. Well, good. Thanks. So as we wrap up, Jeff, uh, as you look back through the years to 18 year old Jeff, just starting down this path, what would you tell him? 
What are the things you wish he knew that you know now? Oh boy. <laughs> that is a great question. This is very specific to 18 year old Jeff or pre 18 year old Jeff. I was consummately good at knowing what I needed to study to get an A on the test. Mm. Grades are important. I'll be the first to tell you that. I write many, many letters of recommendation for people who want to go to med school. Your grades are really important. Mm -hmm. But if all you do is focus on the grades, you're going to be missing the most important opportunities that lie in front of you. And that is to become a student of God's creation so that you can give that back to God in a way that glorifies him. And so 18-year-old Jeff needed to work a bit harder on that particular issue. Studying in each class in such a way that the things that 18-year-old Jeff was learning about the biological world could be turned back over to God and praise to him. Mm. And so making your studies, Jeff making his studies, an act of service to God is something that uh, 18-year-old Jeff didn't really, he hadn't put all the pieces together, I think, at that time in his career. It took him a while to figure that out. Maybe he's still learning about that. True of us all, sure. And then I think realizing that the professors that you encounter at a public university, at least, that's been most of my experience, well, often we use the phrase stealing from the Egyptians. So what does that mean? So remember the, uh, the Israelites left Egypt, they're going to the promised land and the Egyptians gave them all this jewelry. Now later they use that jewelry for a very bad purpose to make a golden calf. Mm -hmm. But the idea was that when you are in a public university, your professors are excited about what they are trying to convey to you in the classroom. And they know a lot. Mm-hmm. What's gotten them this far is their excellence and their passion. And try to find ways in every class that you're taking to have an open hand um, mentally about what you're being exposed to. Sift it using Christian principles, but recognize that there's something that you need to learn in every class that you're in. Don't treat your classes as a purely utilitarian exercise to get to your next career goal, the next hoop that you want to jump through. And I'm a consummate hoop jumper, I would say myself. But view them as an opportunity and um, seek in humility to learn what God might have you learn from each class. Mm -hmm. well, I appreciate that. Is there anything else you'd like to mention as we wrap up? We've talked about a lot, but I want to give you one last chance to either circle back on something or add something new that needs to be said. Well, one thing I would like to say, and, and Stan, I know you will agree with this, is that it's important to study things besides your narrow field of biology. So Stan, you and I have had lots of really great discussions that impinge on philosophy. And, you know, it turns out that, Thinking about those things in addition to the biology is crucially important. And so, although being a good biologist requires excellence in your chosen discipline, whatever biological discipline that might be, and there's no substitute for that excellence, 
thinking broadly is going to serve you well for the rest of your life. Philosophy is important there. Theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had some good conversations about theology, too, because, of course, as you said so well, the theological issues are everywhere in relationship to biology. And you don't have to have a specialized degree like I have the privilege of having right. to think theologically. Everyone can do this. Right. And you can start small. And then as you really get hooked on some particular area, uh, you can develop. And um, that might lead you to seminary. Uh, but many times it's, it's not going to. And yet, I think to be someone who can make an impact as someone who is, as Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, salt and light in the world, thinking more broadly about your faith and, and biology is going to help you. Mm-hmm. Let me uh, make a suggestion of something I saw once that was so rich for everyone involved. It was actually in the church I went to when I was in Wisconsin and a group of men and women who were in uh, broadly speaking, the biological sciences, a number of them were physicians uh, and, uh, and, and some other fields, but they formed a reading group in their church and read together things that, that integrated theology and the issues in the biological sciences, but not really technical stuff. Just stuff that was was for them as practitioners in the biological sciences, helping them start conversations amongst themselves about these things that they all struggled with because they every day dealt with these things. And I think that's a great idea for every broadly construed field to have a group in their church, whether you're business professionals, those in education, those in, in this case, the biological sciences, to find others in your church who are also trying to serve the Lord in this field, broadly construed, and just get together and read things together and try to make some headway to understand better how to think about these things. Yeah, that's that's great advice, actually. One of the things that we haven't really touched on so far that's probably worth touching on a little bit more, you did talk about, we did talk a bit about professional societies and, and groupings of Christians. God has designed all of us, uh, members of his worldwide body, the church, to exist in community. Mm. And so don't feel that you have to do all of this mm-hmm. as an isolated self-improvement project. That's not really how this should work. Finding local communities of Christ followers, maybe people who don't always agree with you about everything, mm-hmm. might even be better, I think, mm-hmm. um, who can come together to think well about these things, to pray for one another, to help one another think through the really tough issues that present themselves in biology and how we come to terms with biblical faith uh, from that perspective. All of that will, will really help you. And I've been involved in these kinds of discussion groups throughout my career, and they've been invaluable to me, helping me go deeper Mm-hmm. sometimes challenging my own views. Hey, you know, why did I really hold that view? Hmm. I guess I hadn't really thought about that very well. Like mm-hmm. coming up and rubbing up against people who have different perspectives from yours can be very helpful for you sharpening why you think what you think about these things. Stan, I've had people like you and other people in my life over the years who have helped me to do that, to help me to think better about these things. Yeah, mutual. 
Well, I appreciate that. I, I you know, I'm still learning. Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good note to end on. There's been so much wisdom you've shared, uh, but it is the tip of the iceberg. Are there places you can recommend listeners can go to for more information? You've mentioned a few books. You've mentioned a few societies, websites, any place else that really would be great resources for those who need to take that next step. Let's see. So uh, if you're particularly interested in bioethics, the um, Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, which has been affiliated with Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, has some very good resources on various bioethical issues. The Christian Medical Dental Association also has some good bioethical uh, resources. And again, you know, not all Christians agree about these things, but these are our places to start to at least get you thinking about certain things. Good. I guess one thing I would recommend is don't feel you have to learn everything all at once because yeah. your head will explode. <laughs> Take it slowly. Um, you know, a book that I like very much uh, is a book called The Language of God by Francis Collins about mm-hmm. thinking about biology from a he has an amazing testimony of how he became a Christian. And that was through thinking about the moral law, mainly uh, that's something that C.S. Lewis had talked about. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a really great book uh, in terms of just the testimony of a Christ follower who's a biologist. There are lots of other kind of autobiographical resources that can also be helpful of Christians who are biologists and, you know, mm-hmm. looking over their shoulder at how they think about these things can often be helpful. Mm-hmm. And I'll add one other resource along those lines is the people in your church who are in these professions. So you're thinking about going into biology. There are people that you rub shoulders with in your church every Sunday who are maybe physicians or maybe they do research at the university in, in biology or what, you know, what have you. But uh, they have thought about these things, or at least hopefully they have, most have, and um, they would be usually delighted to maybe once, maybe for a regular, uh, you know, every week, every month for a period, sit down with you over coffee and or Coke or whatever, and just talk about these things. So, so uh, again, back to your point about the body of Christ and the sharpening one another, listeners should seek out those they already are in community with to help them. And some granted wouldn't have thought about these things, but you can ask a few questions just to get a sense of whether they have, you know, uh, a sense of where the biblical worldview intersects by just maybe asking that, you know, have, have you given much thought to where, what we you know study in the scriptures relate to issues in the biological sciences? And if they have, they'll light up and say, Oh yeah, I thought a lot about that. Uh, you want to talk about it? <laughs> or if they haven't, they'll say, yeah, no, not really. I just kind of do my job. Well, that sort of tells you whether you might want to pursue a, a relationship with that person. And that's true of any discipline, of course, uh, any major, but uh, certainly in, the, in this context. You know, if they haven't thought about it, maybe your question will spur them mm. to think about it. So you can be a ministry to them too, right? So, Good point. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's a great point, Stan, is that Often we look to celebrities or New York Times bestsellers or whatever it might be, and we neglect the resources that are sitting there right around Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they might be the best resources because 
they're embodied resources. You can talk to a real human, mm-hmm. get to know them, see whether how they approach these issues resonates with, with your own mm-hmm. heart and mind on these mm-hmm. things in a way that's really not possible uh, as great as uh, some of the internet-based resources are. They, they lack that personal connection that can be crucially important. Sure. Well, Jeff, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your wisdom. Thanks for your faithfulness to the Lord and his leading to use the gifts he's given you to express them in the ways that he wants you to express them. So uh, blessing to you on your good work. And uh, thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Well, Stan, thanks to you and Global Scholars for sponsoring this. Uh, It's been a real pleasure to be with you today. That brings us to the end of this edition of the College Faith Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education. Be sure to check out today's show notes at collegefaith.net slash podcasts, where you can find more information and links to the resources we discussed. If you found this podcast helpful, please help spread the word by liking my College Faith Facebook page at facebook.com slash collegefaith and pass this show on to others who may enjoy hearing our conversation. Please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, to help equip Christian professors to be salt and light for Christ on their campuses. Until next time, this is Stan Wallace encouraging you to love the Lord your God with both heart and mind during the university years and beyond.